HK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Janice Wong. Hey, good morning, Janice. Good morning. Hey, on Friday's Back Chat, we are going to be looking at the government's proposal to make it a legal requirement for child care professionals to report suspected cases of serious child abuse to the authorities. According to a LegCo paper, professionals from the social welfare, education and health care sectors who frequently deal with children will be considered mandated reporters. They must file a report if they have a reason to suspect a child has been seriously harmed or is at risk. Those who don't comply could face up to three months in prison and a $50,000 fine, though there will be some exemptions. And after 9.45, we're going to be talking about the plans to ban the release of animals into unsuitable habitats. We want to know what you think. You can leave a message here on our Facebook page. You can email us, uh, backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call at 233-8866. And uh, we're getting into this important topic uh, today with our guests. First, I'd like to say hello to Carol Sito, the CEO of Save the Children Hong Kong. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Morning. Hey, great to have you on the show. We've also got with us Dr. Patrick Chung, who is the chairperson of the executive committee at Against Child Abuse. Uh, good morning, Dr. Chung. Good morning. Good morning. And we also have Priscilla Loy, who is the children's rights advocate and the former chair of the Hong Kong Committee on Children's Rights. Good morning, Priscilla. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so, it, you know, we've got this there, making it a law that you must report if you suspect abuse. Uh, Dr. Chung, can you give us a little more insight on what exactly is in the law? Well, um, um, the law has been uh, asked for for many, many years by the community because uh, there are a lot of tragedies keep uh, coming, uh, have happening. And uh, with a lot of um, advocacy, the government uh, finally um, uh, put it into the legislation. And then for the last couple of years, there have been uh, uh, consultation uh, for the public and also uh, for the professional bodies. And finally put it into the uh, Gazette uh, today. And then it will be uh, going through the legislation and uh, put it into practice in 18 months' time. So um, as I see the law proposed, uh, the law gives uh, uh, wider protection for the children. It sort of uh, in, uh, strengthens the child protection system in Hong Kong. And also it sort of sends a very strong message to the uh, community that what is acceptable and what is not acceptable behavior when we look after our children. So um, and and. Uh, beside that, uh, the social welfare department, they have a um, uh, handling guide, handling procedure guide, which is uh, uh, practice, already currently in practice, uh, being used by the different professionals, uh, uh, by the teachers, by the uh, healthcare workers and the social workers. Uh, now, these three groups of the uh, professionals are the mandated reporters. So, um, so uh, as I see it, um, this uh, mandated uh, reporting system is uh, is a, a an improvement of what we are already doing by the professional at present. Right. Uh, so Dr. that's my comment. All right, Doctor Chung, I, I just want to go into some of the details. It's, I mean, under this proposed legislation, social workers, teachers, uh, nurses, and doctors will be required uh, to report suspected cases if serious child abuse in future. Um, what actually classifies as uh, serious child abuse? Well, um, 
there, there is an initial proposal in the um, uh, for the uh, for the uh, mandatory reporting. They specifically list out under different categories, like a physical abuse. Uh, they say the severe physical injury requiring urgent medical attention. Now, sexual abuse, for example, serious sexual crimes such as rape, buggery, or incest. These are examples, all right? Psychological abuse. The child has been threatened with serious harm, either physical, sexual, or psychological, that endangers uh, the child's physical or psychological safety. Neglect. A child has been frequently left unsupervised, uh, resulting in lack of basic provision, which has caused uh, or may likely cause serious or life-threatening injury. These are uh, some of the examples listed in the initial um, uh, consultation paper. I understand the uh, working group is uh, creating a guideline to uh, help the professional. Uh, in, the gui- in such a, a, a short guideline, they will list the types of uh, scenarios that is, uh, uh, the professional should uh, report. So, uh, but I, I do not know the details. All right. So yeah. let's go to Miss um, Sito. Uh, yes. Hi. So, so, what do you think of this uh, proposed legislation? We, we just talked about how it uh, uh, mainly deals with serious child abuse cases. Um, what about uh, why? Why serious? Why only serious child abuse cases? Do you think? Uh, I think uh, uh, for us, it's, it's really good step that they have this proposed bill and now being introduced into the legislative uh, council. You know, in the middle of the month, uh, it's an excellent first step. A child abuse issue is very serious in Hong Kong. If you look at the last uh, two years, the numbers, uh, actually, the registered number of um, child abuse cases have increased uh, 50%. So uh, it's something that really requires attention, and this is a great first step. I think the you know right now they are still focusing on the serious abuse. Uh, it, it is you know a topic of, of debate. How do you define uh, a serious versus serious, uh, not serious? Uh, what prompted all this? As you recall, in 2018 there was a five-year-old girl that died, and uh, two years ago the parents got life sentences, and that really created public outcry. Uh, when the girl was discovered, there were 133 injuries in her body. Uh, and she went through five months of suffering. So, of course, cases like that, you know, everyone was just so angry, the whole society actually, you know, uh, uh, we are supporting the reporting of, of serious child abuse cases. Um, but, you know, in terms of how, how one defines it, like Dr. Chering has said, I, I think more guidelines will come out. Um, I think to send a signal to even have this bill to say, you know what, uh, as a society, we should not tolerate child abuse at all, and we should have this zero-tolerance uh, culture in a society is already a very good first step. So I've got an email from Dan, uh, which, which goes to this. He, uh, Dan says, only, quote, serious child abuse shouldn't prompt and decisive action be taken for any verbal or physical abuse of children, and terms need to be clearly defined and understood by all. What is child abuse? How should we detect and report it? Which I guess is really the big issue here. Um, so, Loy, you know, I mean, in terms of this question of definition, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, my dad had a short fuse. He used to yell at us all the time. Uh, my friends used to call him shouty, shouty Mr. Work. And I, I mean, I guess like now would people, you know, they might call that verbal abuse and, you know, would get reported to the police? I mean, uh, I mean, how do people deal with definitions? It never occurred to us for being abused. I think we were fine. But I mean, uh, when people have different ideas in their heads about what is abuse, how do we create a common definition that 
you know, especially these people affected by the laws so that they can understand, you know, what they're dealing with. Priscilla? Um, I think the concern for children has not only recently started. It has started decades ago uh, in overseas uh, countries and in Hong Kong, I would say, at least from 1979 onward. I use 1979 because that's the international year of the child, uh, international ones. But and pe- people didn't care about Hong kids Kong, before that? We have been shaken up to see how to define abuse and neglect and what do we mean by protection of children. And at that stage, by far we are from con- defining shouting, screaming, or even battering children as abuse. We, we are not talking, we are now talking about what is child abuse. In fact, in Hong Kong, we have spent 40 years of hard work, of advocacy, both from non-government sector and government sector, in trying to help the community to see the best interests of children is not through violent or abusive means or punitive ways for them to behave well or to be respectful. So I think the definition is not something new, I must say, because, uh, how, however, it's not something new because, because even the um, courses have been built in, in schools and universities and so on, even in the primary schools and secondary education textbooks, not extensively, not extensively, but they have been included, um, that corporal punishment leads to certain negative ways of negative behavior. So what I'm saying is that the definition is important and it needs to continue by empowering the community to see what it is. And I I jump in to respond to the point of serious abuse uh, being made mandatory uh, reporting. And I've raised a number of times that abuse in terms of definition in itself is serious enough in our community. Um, because when we started off, serious cases with 100 marks on the body injuries were considered harsh punishment. But then the society moved on to see that is considered a serious abuse. And we should not only focus on serious cases because we have all along um, stressed, I think the government and the community has stressed many times, that prevention is better than cure. If we are serious about it, we should be tackling the abuse cases, less serious but happening, risky, and the more more risky and serious ones and the very serious ones. And Carol has cited the really very serious fatal ones. And if you trace the records, the fatal cases are not rare incidents. Through these 40 years, there are many different fatal cases. The government has taken steps to form a fatality review commission or committee to look at it because of advocacy's call. So I I think if we are really genuinely concerned, we need to take bigger steps. And of course, this particular step taken at the present moment is long overdue. I don't want to make any uh, comments that would hinder the passing of such bill in the Legislative Council. I think we should move forward. It's long overdue, and serious cases in itself is not enough. We need to do more, but at least at the present moment, 
we need to put the law in place, as mentioned, to alert the entire community to see the best interests of children should receive paramount priority in terms of resources and attention. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, you're saying that this is a step and we need to do more. Uh, we've got 18 months for this bill to take effect after Absolutely. it passes. 18 months. It's another 18 months for children to wait. I, I think for, for us adults, 18 months is just nothing. Yeah, go ahead. That's an important step. But I think we need to shorten the time because before this bill, there has been decades um, of debate. abuse yeah. and neglect of children uh, tolerating these not necessarily to right away to a serious or fatal extent, but having those a chronic um, kind of uh, management and treatment in itself, it, it's like um, living a, a, a living corpse. Uh, yeah, not really having any life for our children. Mm. So I think the change needs to be speeded up. Car- Carol Cito, why why the delay? I mean, is it was there a sense that there were like uh, people that were in these positions in education, welfare, that were keeping their mouths shut, that they were seeing abuse and not reporting it? Is I mean, is that I mean, why do we have to mandate it? If people are being trained to look for it, why do we have to mandate it and put these people in legal jeopardy? Were they were they falling down on the job in in a in a big way? Um. Because in, in a Hong Kong society, uh, up until now, there was no such proposal. There's no such law. So it's a voluntary reporting. And I can see, uh, actually, if we just talk about the issue of corporate punishment, right? Uh, in fact, last month, we just released a, a survey of a thousand people looking at public opinion just on corporal punishment alone. And um, uh, uh, almost, you know, 60% of the public told us, okay, they get it. They know that corporal puni- punishment is the... Uh, a wrong approach to disciplining children. Yet, only 23% said they will do something. You know, if they see, you know, that situation on the street or elsewhere, they would actually intervene. So, uh, it's a pers- you know, it's a, uh, sometimes people just prefer to look the other way and turn the blind eye. Uh, they might see something, and sometimes they think they're doing, uh, you know, putting the best interest of the child you know, uh, in mind and say, let me not intervene. This is a family business. I may create more trouble for the child if I raise this issue, you know, within the school, you know, within an NGO. Um, and th- those cases go unnoticed. And I, I think, you know, if we really look at the figures, just now I was saying that, you know, over the last two years, the, the numbers have reached uh, 1,439 uh, cases in 2022, uh, 2022, and it's a 50% growth. But I think it's widely believed that that number is completely underreported. And it's because so many people are afraid or they don't want to report such cases. So I think, you know, with this law, uh, coming in, I completely agree with Priscilla. What she just said is that we need to speed it up. So you need to create this culture that you cannot look the other way. You mm. cannot uh, turn the blind eye on suspected child abuse cases. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're saying if you're saying yeah. that uh, we've had this huge increase in reported cases, 50% is a lot. Did did we all of a sudden become a culture of 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 child abusers, or is it because reporting is going up? Are people be, are people people are becoming more sensitive and they are reporting it more often. Is that, is that not the case? Are we getting better training for professionals to report? It, it, it could be a little bit of both. You know, if you look at the figures, it, it fluctuates. In 2020, it was at uh, 940. If you look at the last couple of years, right, uh, there was a pandemic. So people are, you know, stuck at home, children and their families. 
the economy has gone down in Hong Kong. There is a lot of pressure in the society. You know, as an NGO, we interact with a lot of you know uh, low-income families. We see the, the the amount of pressure on the families when we have positive parenting classes. You know, we talk to the parents and they they break down in tears. You know, they have financial difficulty, they have you know housing problems, living in small places, and the pressure just goes up. And so I can see the you know the 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 risk of child abuse. You know, we see that actually in Hong Kong and worldwide also that increases under this condition, and the pressure on you know on on the the, the children is also very high. So mm. I think it's a little bit of both. The environment itself, last couple of years, you know, really with the social economic environment in Hong Kong, and also maybe yes, there have been a number of uh, high-profile child abuse cases uh, in the last few years that people are a little bit more aware. But there's so much more we can do. Right, Masito. I mean, I know um, we've been. I mean, during our discussion so far, we we uh, we've been talking about how uh, child abuse is. Uh, there should be zero tolerance towards uh, child abuse. Um, but then, when we talk about this uh, proposed legislation, it, it's um, it's um, quite complicated in a way because uh, um, social workers, uh, teachers, they will have to know how to tell uh, when to report these cases. Do you think? I mean, when you look at it that way, do you think um, eighteen months is uh, is uh, acceptable? more acceptable i know i know earlier you said it should be speeded up miss Ito? hello oh or dr oh, Jung, dr. If you like. okay yeah dr Jung. Yeah. Uh, you, you want my comment yeah, yeah dr yes, Jung. Fine. yes yes as i said before um the um the handling guideline by the social welfare department has been uh, revised and updated in 2020, it is used by the uh, teachers. It is used by the social workers as well as the uh, health professionals. And there is already a system of how to report, you know, who to report, what type of cases, what are the indicators of abuse. It's all listed in the guideline. The professionals are already using it or are already using it. It's just that the previous strategies may be uh, due to the lack, uh, lapse in communication, such as, you know, who is responsible to, to report. I, for example, one professional is assuming the other professional will take action, but not the uh, vice versa. For example, the use of the terms like, I consult you, who is being uh, responsible, or I refer the case to you, or I report the case to you. So there's uh, this miscommunication uh, between the professionals. So in this new legislation, it stipulates that, uh, you know, when somebody reports a case, the uh, the person receiving the report, for example, the social welfare department or the police, will need to take up the responsibility to pursue the case. So it is a refinement of the uh, guidelines that the professionals are already been uh, doing for many, many years. Um, so this is an improvement. Um, as to the uh, incidence of child abuse in the last few years, um, uh, Carol has mentioned about the uh, family frictions within the COVID period. And also I must uh, also uh, uh, comment that the death of the five-year-old girl and the uh, sentencing, sentencing of the parents are uh, uh, a big alarm to the community as well as to the uh, professionals. Now the professionals, they, are, they have increased alertness and they, they 
uh, more likely to report or more likely to look into uh, uh, finer symptoms or simple uh, signs of uh, child abuse and then ask for help. And that's the uh, essence or the main principle of uh, protecting children is um, you have the awareness and then you ask for help. You take the step to ask for help. If you are not too sure at the frontline uh, social worker, you ask your supervisor. If the su- supervisor is not clear, you ask for the statutory social worker, etc. So that's the, uh, the, the essence of the uh, reporting. And it, it has been put into law now uh, initially. Um, to ensure those who handle children are in the best position to spot the abuse, identify the abuse and report the abuse. And then uh, we hope, we hope this reporting uh, culture will uh, slowly extend to other members of the community so that the standard of child care or child protection will be uh, better in Hong Kong. Right. So, Dr. Chung, you don't, you don't really see any problems with the actual implementation of the legislation. Um, but, but in general, I mean, in the past, I mean, when teachers or social workers, I mean, when do they know there, there's a problem? I mean, if the um, signs of physical abuse is not obvious, I mean, of course, if you're a doctor or a nurse, it may be easier to spot any signs of physical abuse. But um, would it be, I mean, more difficult for teachers, for example, who, who often have to deal with uh, um, many, many children in, in big groups? Well, there, uh, there are ongoing training for various sectors, like the education, social worker. So this is a prime time for, um, uh, for uh, continuous education, for continuous training. One, one point I want to uh, uh, raise is that the importance of uh, uh, joint training. Joint training meaning meaning that bringing the people together, like the police, uh, the teachers, the social worker, the health health uh, professional, as uh, for example uh, to manage, uh, for example a scenario and how to respond and how to uh, collaborate and communicate uh, better and how how do we see different scenarios? So the joint training is very very important. So especially in the coming 18 months, in each uh, local district, it would be good for joint training so that the uh, local community and the local professional can work better together to smooth out the process. Mm. So, uh, yeah. And and how how well does that, does that kind of cooperation happen now? I like, I've I've never had, I have friends that are teachers, I've never heard them say, oh yeah, I've been, I was in a, I was in a training session with the Hong Kong police and a bunch of social workers. You know, whenever they talk about their professional development training days, uh, that that's not something I hear about. Yeah, so so that's the problem. The training is sort of uh, the, uh, within each department or with each uh, within uh, uh, each professional. But the joint training, so this is um, something is that, uh, uh, for example, the government thing can take the lead in sort of facilitating uh, this type of uh, training to better the system. Gotcha. Car- Carol Cito, we've got to wrap up in one minute here, and I know you've got to go with the half hour. Um, can you just say, like, in terms of this, this concept of joint training, is this something you've seen or, or been involved with? I think there's definitely a need. Uh, I think more will come, you know, the social welfare department, I'm sure the, the education bureau. Uh, but like Dr. Char- uh, Learn has said, uh, um, you know, if you look at the organization, uh, a child-facing organization, the system needs to be in place. We always talk about the, the, the concept of child safeguarding. 
So you look at any kind of institution, the, the training needs to be there. The, the system uh, needs to be strengthened so that they actually have proper monitoring and reporting. And the whole culture of child safeguarding uh, needs to be there. So, you know, it, for this mandatory reporting uh, bill, we look at the individuals, the type of mm. uh, professionals that need to be trained. But we need to look at also institutions, uh, organizations as a whole and strengthen the system so that nothing falls through the cracks. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Carol Cito. Thank you for joining us this morning on Back Chat. That's Carol Cito, the CEO of Save the Children Hong Kong. Our other two guests are going to stay with us because we have um, some more details we want to get into. And reminder, you can call and email us if you'd like to get your digs in or ask a question. Uh, a quick hit on the weather, mainly fine, very hot. And by very hot, I mean 33 degrees and even higher in the new territories. Isolated showers and thunderstorms looking ahead to the weekend. Sunny intervals and a few showers in the next few days. And it is going to be hot, hot, hot. So watch out. Right now, the temperature is uh, 30 degrees Celsius and 75% humidity. This is Back Chat on RTHK Radio 3. And now the news with Tom Warden. An employment specialist says Hong Kong needs to address underlying issues if it wants to attract talent. The government says it will allow students in their penultimate year of university to apply for civil service jobs instead of making them wait until the final year. But Roy Ying, co-chair of the Advocacy and Policy Research Committee at the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resource Management, says the government needs to consider a range of measures. Foreign ministers from the BRICS group, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, are calling for a rebalancing of the global order away from Western nations. South Africa's foreign minister said their vision is to provide global leadership in a world fractured by geopolitical tension, inequality and worsening global security. And Republican and Democratic Party leaders in the U.S. Senate say they hope a bill to suspend the government debt limit can be swiftly passed. There are indications that there could be a vote within hours. Final approval is needed before Monday. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Applications for registration as an elector or for change of registration particulars should be submitted by June 2nd. Submit the specified form along with address proof by email, post or fax or online. Provide your phone number and email address too. Check your voter registration particulars at vr.gov.hk. If you receive a letter for address checking, reply promptly. The deadline is also June 2nd. For inquiries, call 2891-1001. Before buying a first-hand residential property, study the sales brochure, price list and sales arrangements. Check mortgage details and total expenses. Assess affordability. Be cautious about verbal promises. Always ask for written confirmation. Sign the agreement for sale and purchase within five working days after signing the preliminary agreement, or else the deposit of 5% of the purchase price will be gone. Visit the Sales of First-Hand Residential Properties Authority website for more. And we're back on Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work, working the airwaves with Janice Wong. And we are talking about a new new piece of legislation that's going to be coming into effect, although the effect of the effect is not going to happen for 18 months, mandating that people in uh, the social services, education, welfare will be mandated to report suspected child abuse. Um, one of the questions I have on, on with us now continuing is Dr. Patrick Jung, the chairperson of the executive committee 
Against Child Abuse. And Priscilla Loy, who's a children's rights advocate and former chair of the Hong Kong Committee on Children's Rights. Um, I have a question to put to both of you. For people that are in these positions who are going to be, uh, that are going to have uh, a mandate put upon them, uh, are there protections for them? that are also going to be put in? Because, I mean, if you're dealing with somebody who will abuse a child, chances are they're, you know, not all that mentally stable. They could be volatile. They could come after the people they suspect of reporting them for abuse. Is there any way to protect these people? Is it, maybe they haven't been reporting in the past because they feared some kind of retaliation. Is there any protection for them? Um, you want me to Please. talk about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, legislative proposal, they uh, put forward some legal safeguards for the professionals. For example, um, <clears throat> uh, if you are the boss, you, you are not allowed to inhibit or uh, not allow your junior to report as a mandated reporter. Okay? So, um, so uh, any person should not disclose who is the, uh, who's the one making the report. Okay, mm-hmm. and and thirdly, a mandated reporter does not incur any civil or criminal liability. Okay, and okay. then fourthly, the mandated reporter must not be held to be breached any code of professional conduct. As I understand, the eighteen months is a t- prime time for the uh, professional bodies to look into their uh, professional codes and conduct and to amend them. For example. Um, uh, for example, uh, for example, in health, we are uh, uh, very important. We, we talk, uh, think about the patient confidentiality. So this is something that uh, uh, if we report uh, abuse uh, to a third person, we need to address that. So, so those are the four things that uh, offer legal safeguards for the professionals, mm. as I understand from the uh, proposal to the Legislative Council. Right. But, but Dr. Chen, what about uh, if um, the victim involved, if, if the child doesn't want uh, um, the social worker, for example, to report it? Yes. If the um, Now, this, is, uh, this takes uh, the skills of the uh, person handling the abuse, because many a times um, the, uh, the child may be hesitant to, to, uh, to disclose uh, 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 information of abuse for fear of uh, reprimand from the families or from the abuser, but the professional handling such situation should possess the, the skills to facilitate the child uh, to see to the problem and how to tackle the problem in a positive way. And many a times when such incidents are uh, being managed quite successfully, when you look back uh, the child may uh, or the family uh, re- often reports that oh, we we uh, we 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 are quite happy that uh, we finally get this over and then we 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 have managed that and we we look forward. So um, so this is something that uh, um, uh, for example in the in the training of a professional we need to uh, improve or further enhance. Right. Yes. So, so um, let's go to Miss Lowe. Miss Lowe. Yes, I'm still here. Yeah. So, so what do you think? I mean, what if a, a child uh, doesn't want the social worker or teacher to to report their case? I mean, 
will the teacher or social worker be be violating the new legislation? Yes, let me start with why the law. Why the law? What is the law doing? I think legislating and having a law of protection sets the community baseline. And I think that baseline is very important. Um, Advocates have always been urging for the government to review all child-related laws in Hong Kong. I think that is an act which is also long overdue because some other countries, more progressive ones, have done that while they bring in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, while they become a signatory. And in Hong Kong, this convention has been brought in in 1994 by by the colonial government, and after 1997, by China government, agreeing that it should remain here. So I think there's an agreement internationally, a commitment to protect our children, and our law should reflect just that. But we have been doing piecemeal. Now, we haven't comprehensively reviewed. But why take so much time talking about the law? The law set baseline. The law is educational, very important, and sanctions violation of something covered in the law. And jumping to what you mentioned about the uh, the 23 groups of uh, professionals and the three major disciplines, in a way, the law is a protection because the law requires you to do that, and to do that for a good reason, not just for any uh, wishy-washy reason, just like, as you mentioned, shouting to a child you have to report, or you find some uh, a few uh, bruise marks, uh, uh, and so on. We are talking about abuse. We are talking about children who may suffer the risk of seriously being harmed physically, mentally, sexually. You don't need to see hundreds cane marks on the body, but the, the, the marks inside them, we're talking about mental health, which has become more and more visible, a problem shaking our community. And our leaders to the highest in China yesterday just made an important remark that the future of our country or society lies on our children, if they're not properly uh, protected or safeguarded to survive, we're talking about some children are dying because of it. So I think while we are doing this education, it needs to be formal, informal, uh, and at all levels, we need to realize what we are not talking about the swinging of pendulum to another extreme. We are still talking about the pendulum to a serious extreme not being identified early enough. So that's the point we need to raise instead of being barred and blocked by many bureaucratic issues like terms and so on and so forth. We have 40 years of experience of serious cases in the files of the government and non-government. And the training and sharing has been ongoing. Of course, it needs to be speeded up and added up. And as mentioned about multidisciplinary training, Andrew, you are so right in saying that it is almost non-existence. It's not non-existence, but very few. So we need to add up. And the legal perspective helps also um, to, to pave uh, the, um, the groundwork in the society. And it helps to change behavior. Uh, it doesn't change the heart. 
the heart needs to be education, needs to be religion and faith and so on. But, but the law helps us to refrain from certain behavior. We think that that should be prohibited, just like corporal punishment. And corporal punishment has been prohibited in institutions here in Hong Kong, in, um, in schools. But whether those are really genuinely followed in a recent um, residential institution, we saw that it's still there, but it's just not found, not identified. And people, even if you see it, you just couldn't bother about it. Mm. You have to see the harm done on children yeah, before you will support wholeheartedly. Yeah, uh, whatever is placed before, before you. I see. I've got a comment here from Mike. Uh, he says, child abuse is an across-the-board, rich, middle-class, poor. I really object Absolutely. to that mentality that this is a lower-class, poor people issue. That's one point, and then he carries on. Um, corporal punishment is a crime, quote-unquote, only when that punishment leaves marks on that child. A swat on the backside does not constitute abuse. The end of his email there. I don't know if either Patrick or Priscilla wants to... Uh, comment on that um, well um, when you look at the social economic uh, status um, the poverty is the main <clears throat> is the, the main origin of all these all these problems when you look into child abuse statistics um, is uh, very is 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 high in the uh, districts uh, who have a lower lower income uh, higher on CSSA and all all these uh, unemployment etc. But uh, child abuse happens in across all classes. You know, no matter you are rich, no matter you are <laughs> poor. I'm sorry to say that, um, and, and I totally agree the observation of the uh, of, uh, of of Mike. Um, yes, <clears throat> and, and I think I think yeah, abuse yeah. and neglect is not monopolized by any specific group, as it's found in different walks of life. Yet there are some groups more vulnerable in their own ways than others, and naming some those under poverty. Uh, the government definitely needs to devote more efforts and resources in that. The, the, the government has been concerned and have agreed that that's a particular group that needs support. And secondly, is children and families with disability, physical, mental and social, special attention and policy and resources needs to be uh, devoted in for them. And there's another one, is children and family of ethnic minorities been for long have been neglected. Yeah, um, there has been policy and resources are devoted, but not sufficiently. So mm. there have still been um, children who have been abused and neglected without being um, noticed or help being brought in early enough. So we're talking about early enough and the effective measures. If we, uh, and, and also I want to mention the harm and crime committed towards children via internet. That's a recent uh, decade's development, and it's very harmful. You don't see the, the uh, scars on the body, but um, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, it's affecting our very young. We thought that the children, younger ones, are not allowed to, to go on the Internet, but they're actually doing it. And there's a lot of harmful things done to an extent of child killing themselves or being killed. So we're talking about the extreme cases still. So I, I hope that we will not be barred 
by the legislation or the 18 months long period because all along even without legislation advocates have been crying out have been urging have been conducting sharing uh, multidisciplinary or not on this i think it had to go on and various professionals need to work harder we have a duty of care for the best interests of children not just have the books out the lessons out or, or what we have in hand for our duties. I think the best interest, the survival, the optimum growth and development of children should hit our heart uh, in order to be willing to do something more, even sacrificing some of our freedom or, or some of our time in doing that. Hmm. I do want to come back to one of the, the points uh, raised by Mike in class. Are, are, is, are cases of abuse in upper and middle class families less likely to be reported either because the people in the mandated classes, you know, your people in education, welfare, social services, either because they don't come into contact with those people as much and their children because, you know, that's just not who they do. I mean, education, not so much, but in other like social services doesn't generally deal with wealthy people. Uh, welfare services generally don't deal with wealthy people. So do they not report because either they don't deal with those people because they just don't believe it's happening or they don't want to come into conflict with them because they might have more power in society. I mean, do they, do do you think children are more at risk in in wealthier and upper class families because they're less likely to be reported? As I mentioned earlier, abuse and neglect is not monopolized by any specific group, but it's true that reflected Mm. in NGOs, data and statistics. Most of them have come from um, lower income groups or middle, um, middle class families. The very rich ones we have received. I personally have encountered cases um, of children being seriously abused. But as mentioned by, say, um, you earlier, there are numerous other reasons that cases of these children have not been uh, reported. But recognizing the need for all children is important. And I see some, say, um, English-speaking um, international schools, they have counselors, uh, they have social workers, and they build in um, educational programs regarding the rights of children and child protection and safeguarding. And even they have issued a safeguarding policy for the schools, which I think say the children and, um, and advocates like myself have been urging for schools, for for NGOs, for government, for all parties to issue clearly a child safeguarding policy. I know the church is now doing so and should be applauded for for taking the steps and taking the willingness to do so, not without difficulties, but we have to overcome these hardships so that the entire community, as earlier said, we are helping to build a culture that is respecting, not only expecting children to respect us as adults, as parents, as um, government, but we are trying to respect them as a role model and not using violation of um, uh, um, harm or violence means. There are other means. So uh, uh, the, the ombudsman is rightly asking, is this enough, even if there's a legislation? Of course, the answer is not enough. It needs to be a holistic approach. That will only help yeah, by bringing more cases up, and yeah. that's a good move. Because you, you are not vicious about the family. You are helping the child, even disregarding what the child wishes. Because the child sometimes doesn't know enough, mm. not mature enough. 
Dr. Chung, once this legislation does come into effect, should we expect a rapid rise in reported cases of child abuse? Is this, is this going to be a, are people going to perceive that there's been a, a huge wave of, of child abuse uh, because there's going to be a lot more reporting? Um, as I understand from overseas um, countries, uh, putting a mandatory uh, reporting in, in place, there's an uh, upsurge of uh, reported cases and then sort of um, it will uh, steadily stabilize but uh, as i see when you look back into the statistics from uh, 2020 and also the 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 sentencing of the um of the five-year-old five-year-old parents it raised a lot of um, alertness in the professionals the the professionals are already very alert and they uh, will report and ask for help so that's why uh, this is one of the main reasons there's a, a sharp rise 50 percent from 2020 to 2022 of the number of cases so um i will i will expect uh, initially there will be um, uh, a surge but then it will uh, uh, slowly sort of uh, being stabilized as the uh, as the uh, management uh, system sort of uh, get into place uh, by the uh, various professionals. Yeah. Yes. Well, this is definitely one that we're going to have to keep an eye on because child abuse is a a serious issue in Hong Kong. So we'd like to thank you for coming to talk to us about it today. Uh, For ourselves and our guests, this is Dr. Patrick Tung, Chairperson, Executive Committee Against Child Abuse, and Priscilla Loy, Children's Rights Advocate and former Chair of the Hong Kong Committee on Children's Rights. Thank you very much to both of you. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Happy 95th birthday, RTHK! Thank you for 95 years of public broadcasting service. Keep up the amazing work. I'm Janice Wailan. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 888 and have your say. And back on Backchat, uh, we're joined now by Paul Crow, who is the Senior Conservation Officer of the Fauna Conservation Department at the Kaduri Farm and Botanic Garden to talk to us about new laws being proposed to uh, correct the problem of people releasing animals into the wild when they definitely should not. Good morning, Paul Crow. Good morning. Um, thanks for having me. You betcha. I love you've got fauna in your name. Very appropriate. I'm sure <laughs> it's been pointed out to you many times. Um, tell us, so what are these proposals that are on the book, first of all? Um, I, there are changes coming forward that are, are basically going to, to, to bring forward a duty of care um, and ensure that people who are in charge of an animal are not uh, able to get away with um, putting them into situations which cause them suffering or cause them them uh, uh, pain or suffering, um, and, and that becomes relevant with uh, with release into the wild because there are, there are negative impacts on on wildlife that's, or, or animals that are put into places they shouldn't be. Okay, and what kind of animals are we? Is does the law is the law specific to? certain types of animals is are we talking about people like abandoning their dogs and cats or are we worried about exotic species that can become invasive species and upset the local ecosystems i mean is it is it targeted in one direction or the other 
I mean, while while the changes in law would actually, uh, I think, be broad, covering all all animals being released into the wild, some of the changes were fairly specifically targeted towards animals involved in, in merit release processes, and that's where people are taking animals that are. Uh, purchased from local pet trade, purchased from local food trade, um, imported from, from elsewhere, and then are, are released into the wild to to, uh, to provide merit to the individuals involved in that. Um, so that's often involving species that aren't native, that uh, that are uh, potentially caught from the wild in another country, or are potentially farmed somewhere for. Uh, food or pet trade, um, so species that, that aren't uh, capable or, or intended to be in, in nature in Hong Kong. Mm. And when you say merit, we're, we're not talking about merit badges for the Boy Scouts here, are we? I mean, we're we're, what are we talking about? We talk about religion. Yeah, that's right. I mean, merit release is primarily a Buddhist process. Um, there may be other groups and other believers, but it's primarily a Buddhist process whereby um, the release of, of a living creature into the wild confers some sort of benefit um, to the individuals involved in doing that. Mm. And have you heard word from, have you caught wind of like what maybe Buddhist organizations that believe in this practice, what, what they think of this? Do they, do they feel like they're being prosecuted on religious grounds or persecuted? I mean, or are they going to I mean, go along with this? It, it's a very, very long-standing practice that's, that's uh, that's uh, primarily based in Asia, but where where Buddhist populations occur anywhere on the planet, they, it still occurs. Several countries have legislation to ensure that that animals cannot be released into nature without uh, appropriate screening, appropriate uh, scientific study. Um, but but uh, over the years, Kaduri Farm and Botanic Garden has been in touch with Buddhist organisations, and and there are members of those organisations that are sympathetic to the concerns about nature and wildlife. Um, but then the the Buddhist population is large, so there are members that are, are not so concerned about what the impact of the of this um, practice is. They want to get their karma, come hell or high water. Yeah, Janice. Uh, and when when I when we talk about this uh, practice of improper animal release, I noticed that earlier this week uh, the environment secretary um, he said it's not as prevalent as before. So, um, how serious is the problem right now? Um, I, in, in Hong Kong, I think when I was when I was uh, involved in wildlife rescue and release many years ago, I. I Personally, came across several um, several occurrences of it where I actually came, you know, came across animals that had just been released, um, and I felt that it was very prevalent in the territory. But but as time has passed, I thought it was uh, subsiding a little and, and, and uh, declining in the territory. However, I just just spoke recently with uh, an author and researcher who is busy preparing uh, a, a book that, that talks about welfare of, of wildlife in the region, and uh, it, it seems my perception was perhaps wrong. I think as a, as a, a non-native um, individual who can't read or, or understand Cantonese, I think I was not necessarily coming across the, the occurrence in Hong Kong as often as it seems to be happening. Um, the, the researcher that I spoke with said, no, no, when you look in the right places, it's still very prevalent. There are restaurants that you can go to who you can buy a live fish to eat, or you can immediately drop it into a chute that sends it straight into the ocean. There are trips being advertised on boats where you buy fish and you go out into the ocean and you dump them straight into the sea. 
sea. So apparently it is still pretty widespread and significant in the territory. And perhaps as a, as a local, you'd know more about it than I do. Wait, so people are paying to release a fish that somebody paid for. They caught it in the first place so you could release it. Yeah. Um, or, or, is, or is the concept like, oh, I'm rescuing it from being eaten at the restaurant? So that, yeah, therefore, I, I can... Yeah. It, it would be nice to think, I think, that the, the concept of merit release was about rescuing the animals. But, but actually, that, that, in my understanding and from our examination and discussion with, with uh, the Buddhists, it's not so much about rescuing the animal. It's only about gaining merit from the actual release itself. Um, because we, we've spoken to, to Buddhist groups and said, well, you know, a, a lot of the cases that we've come across uh, immediately after release or upon release and, and looking at the, the situation that, that's happening, you may be releasing a freshwater fish into the ocean. So you are <laughs> guaranteed to be causing it its death. And they say, well, it's not what happens after the release that's of significance. It's the act of release itself which gains you the merit so so it, it i don't think it should be described as a rescue of an animal it's nine times out of ten or in fact probably a hundred times out, out of a hundred it's going to cause uh, a, a significant negative impact to the animals involved often death hmm. and uh, we're talking about fish i understand turtles are on the list as well um, actually, in my experience, the, the sort of breadth of species that have been, been involved in it across Hong Kong are, are, is, is actually quite staggering. Turtles are very commonly involved because they're easily obtainable in the local food markets and pet markets. Um, but if you go to the local pet bird market, there are birds that are offered for sale specifically for merit release. Um, I have seen... Um, people inside nature reserves and special areas releasing insects that they bought also in the mm. in the bird market that so it, it it has covered in my experience right through from insects fish birds um possibly not mammals because they're harder to obtain yeah but i mean are people abandoning does this also cover people like just basically ditching their dogs and cats or abandoning their pets well that abandoning an abandoning an animal um is inappropriate already, um, but the legislation changes may also be be making that in itself a a, 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 a bit of a, a more complicated thing to get away with. Uh, nobody should be be abandoning their pet. There's no excuse for it. Um, but uh, but they're also it, chipped and things like that now, right? So they have separate right. legislation. So people could for it. potentially be tracked down to say, "Hey, that was your animal, and uh, it's now free ranging somewhere." So you, you have not exercised a duty of care to make sure that your animal was comfortable and, and looked after appropriately. Hmm. All right. Well, I would love to hear from some Buddhists in particular, or maybe on our Facebook page. They're welcome to come and provide some comments if they feel like uh, they got a broad deal today on the show. They can come and provide a, a counterpoint. I'd be very interested in that. Uh, super interesting. Paul Crow, Senior Conservation Officer, Fauna Conservation Department, Kaduri Farm Botanic Garden. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's uh, great having you on. And as we look to the end of Back Chat today, uh, great guests, great talks. And uh, thank you very much, Janice, for helping make the magic happen here. Uh, Raphael Blett was our producer today. Uh, our sound engineer was James Lung. Thank you very much for taking care of us. Tune in again on Monday, uh, 8 a.m. We're going to kick off with uh, Money Talk with a new host making his debut, uh, Nitin Dildas. We'll be enlightening. He's been a guest, but now he's joining the ranks of the hosts. And back chat on Monday will be Jim Gould and Carha. So be sure to tune in then. This has been Back Chat.